Welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. We are guides for the Hollywood's Haunted tours in Hollywood, California. And we are here to discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown. Bum, bum, bum. And occasionally we'll get off track and talk about aliens and folklore and other yeah. random stuff <laughs> uh, as well. Which we talk more about makeup, honestly, but okay. okay. Sorry, that's another <laughs> thing. I don't know why the, that thought got in my head. I'm sure someone died. Oh, no, no yeah. Stories. No, I have a whole. makeup, yeah. Uh, see, I just, Tofana. I just, yeah. I just burst into another episode. Okay. You see that? I actually already had that as a, as a category. Yeah, I was in the head. You can take the credit for it. That's usually what happens. Oh, Anyways. Not, well, specifically you sometimes, but that's fine. That's fine. All right, who's going first? Do we rock, paper, scissors? Since we can actually do that here. All right. Are we winning for first, or whoever wins gets to decide? Whoever wins gets to decide. Okay. All right. Here we go. Three way. Bring your hand over here so we can see it in the camera. All right. There. Oh. oh, There. Okay. How do you do a three? Remember, we had this problem last time that it wasn't really. Okay. Yeah. Three way. I guess it doesn't really work. No, it does work. Does it work? Yeah. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. Let's see what like happens. Scissors and there's two okay. papers. Okay. 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 Hey, ready? Just, okay. You just gotta do another okay. round. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Uh, oh, 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 you win. Okay. okay. There you go. There you go. Okay. okay. That makes sense. That works. Um, so that I get one to time. decide. Is yes. That what it if is? you want to go first, or okay. who goes first, or I don't know. Um, you have the power. I think. I guess I should turn the camera on I to think, you. I think you should go first. Yeah. Oh. Oh. He done switched it up. Okay, I'll go wow. first. Wow. That's fine. I need to finish this. Your water. Oh, this is water. <laughs> okay. All right. Air quotes, water. There we go. I'll go first. Yeah, on you. You don't need... You no, need I, need, I need... I'll be moral support in the background. Okay, cool. Okay, All right, like so... um, Yeah, okay, so mine is the scandal between uh, Roscoe Arbuckle who was mostly known as Fatty Arbuckle, mm-hmm. and Virginia Rappé, and basically what happened there. Roscoe? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just get into it. Okay. okay. Let's go. Anyways, okay, so, Roscoe Conkling, C-O-N-K-L-I-N-G, Conkling, Conkling uh, Arbuckle, <laughs> was born March 24th, Ooh. 1887. Is that your birthday? Oh, four days away. Oh, That's okay. It's really close. So really it's really, close. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are pretty much related. We are. We're like the same. We're pretty much the same person. So, yeah. Keep going. Uh, my <laughs> birthday twin is Ivanka Trump. So, there's uh, that. Wah, wah. It's okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. She did say fuck Christmas or, uh, before. So, you know, you guys are kind of... That's Melania. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, he was born in Smith Center, Kansas. He was one of nine children. Uh, his parents were Mary E. Goodrich and William Goodrich. Roscoe was born, uh, 13 pounds at birth. Wow. Causing his father to believe Roscoe was illegitimate, uh, because Mary and William were both very thin people. So, uh, so his father chose to name him after Roscoe Conkling, 
of New York, a notorious philanderer, and uh, whom his father despised. Wow. So, yeah. Ouch. Off to a great start there. Really? Uh, The birth was traumatic. Yeah, Uh, 13 pounds. Yeah, resulting uh, in chronic health problems for his mother, Mary, Mm -hmm. uh, that contributed to her death when Roscoe was only 11 years old. So, when Roscoe was two, his family moved to Santa Ana, California, and at age eight, he was recruited by Frank Bacon to uh, into his uh, vaudeville show. Uh, kind of got just scooped up off the street. Uh, Roscoe was familiar with vaudeville at the time, so he was very happy to, you know, be in this cute little show and everything. So, uh, they needed a small child, and they liked the pudgy look of Roscoe. I literally wrote that. Um, at 11, his mother died, and his father refused to support him. So he had to work odd jobs, mostly in a hotel for a time. Uh, and he would sing while he was at work. Uh, one day, a professional singer uh, heard him singing and asked him to come by for a talent show that he was putting together. Uh, and the talent show was... Uh, so this is like the ninth, early 1900s. So, uh, a lot of the things like I'll talk about kind of seem cliche nowadays, but they definitely originated from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So this talent show had something called the Shepherd's Crook. Uh, yeah, it's like a big hook (laughs) and literally like you see in... The Simpsons, or... See, I thought yeah. the Apollo invented the... <laughs> yeah, so it was like a big hook, and it just scooped Roscoe Arbuckle up off the stage. Uh, awesome. Well, almost, almost. So uh, he gets up there, and he sings. The audience is really here to see more, like, comedic acts and stuff, and they're kind of low-class, so they start to boo him, mm-hmm. and the hook starts coming out from the <laughs> side of the stage <laughs> for him. Uh, and he panics... Because he needs the money, and he doesn't know what to do at that point. So he somersaults into the audience, like, off the stage. Uh, and Frank Bacon was thoroughly impressed. He won the contest. Oh. And from then on, he was uh, asked to be part of the vaudeville group there. Uh, in 1904, Sid Grauman uh, invited him to his new, unique theater in San Francisco. And they began a very close friendship uh, and in 1906, he joined uh, the Pantages Theater Group, touring the West Coast of the United States. Uh, they went all the way up to the Orpheum in Oregon, from what I heard. Uh, and Roscoe became the star of that group. Um, so yeah, uh, in on August 1908, he married Minta Durfee, the daughter of actor and co-star Warren Durfee. Um, they kind of had an estranged marriage for most of their, like, married life together. Like, she just, he did his own thing, and then she was never there. They were, like, never seen together. So, uh, that kind of comes into play a little later. Um, so he joined the Morosco Bank, Burbank, <laughs> Burbank Stock Vaudeville Company. I don't know why I found that hilarious. Uh, <laughs> vaudeville Company, and he tur- he tur- toured... China and Japan, uh, which was a big deal, you yeah, know, like yeah. big deal for him to be in I this. I would love to tour China yeah. and Japan. Well, uh, China right also, now. Also, like you Japan. said, Burbank. Burbank, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, 
awkward wine drink there. Okay. In 1913, he moved to Universal Pictures, uh, appearing in uh, appearing as a Keystone Cop in Max Sennett's Keystone Cop series. So it was like that's where the Keystone Cop originated. Like you, usually these like lanky, bumbling, like, like British, the yeah, oh, okay. was from the Keystone Cop series. Okay. Um, like I said. These things are going to sound cliche, but this is like the origin. But he wanted Roscoe because he was bigger. He was a big guy. And uh, he thought that that made him stand out amongst the other Keystone cops. And he thought that it was very funny. He was making $3 a day, which is pretty good because in today's standards, that's $78 a day. Oh, yes. So, yeah. I mean... That's okay. For, yeah. Yeah. That for can... yeah, that's not he's would be able to support himself off yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, gig. Especially being on your own since eleven, so So one thing Roscoe was very self conscious about his weight. He hated the name Fatty. He would respond to people by saying, I've got a name, you know, uh, whenever he was called that. And uh, he refused to get cheap laughs for, uh, based on his weight. It was never something that it was fully made fun of when he started to be able to be very selective about his films. He would not get stuck in doorways or, like, stuck in a chair. Yeah, he wouldn't. You know? really, yeah, good for him. Uh, Max Sennett said this about uh, Roscoe. Uh, he skipped upstairs as lightly as Fred Astaire. Without warning, he went into a feather-light step, clapped his hands, and did a backward somersault as gracefully as a girl tumbler. So... <laughs> He had a lot of control over his body mass as well, which what made him a spectacular performer mm-hmm. uh, because you didn't expect it. You know, he he could hit all of those like uh, physical comedy bits. Like he could definitely. Yeah, uh, Chris Farley, I wish yeah. I heard was the same way. That even for his size, he was still very agile, very athletic. That you know, that he could. That makes so much too. sense, yeah. man. He some of his bits in SNL were. Uh, very, yeah. I mean, huge comedic but they they, they must have taken physical, some serious yeah. staging yeah you mm-hmm. know like god yeah so many good bits man. Yeah. yeah he was he was that of his time the chris farley of his time oh yeah <laughs> well and paved the way for a lot of uh comedians that were bigger people you know uh so his comedies are noted as rollicking and fast pace uh they have many chase scenes and sight gags so sight gags is going to be like Gags that have forced perspective, uh, different things like that. You know, Charlie Chaplin used a lot of them. And actually, he was really good friends with Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, and Buster Keaton. Paramount Pictures uh, made the offer of uh, $1,000 a day, plus 25% of all profits to Roscoe. Uh, And complete uh, complete artistic control to make movies uh, with Mabel... Mabel Normand. So they made a lot of movies together previously, and Universal was like, I want you two to star in the movies, and they gave Roscoe complete uh, artistic control, which was a big deal. And $1,000 a day would be nice today. Today. Like, that would be nice now. To hell with the 78 bucks today. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and like I said, but I'm not sure if you caught that, that Harold Lloyd... Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, they all played supporting roles in his films. So that's where Roscoe is 
when this scandal that I'm about to talk about happened. Virginia Rappe is the other main player in this story. Uh, so she's born July 7th, 1895. Uh, she's an American model and silent film actress. Uh, so at 14, she begins working as a commercial uh, model for uh, art and commercials uh, in Chicago. In uh, 1916, she relocates to San Francisco to pursue, pursue her career as an artistic model. Uh, she gets engaged to Robert uh, Maskoff, but shortly after, he's killed in a trolley accident. Uh, so she moves to Los Angeles to try her hand in movies. She makes a few small films and has a couple bit parts here and there. But mm -hmm. she's definitely not to the level of Roscoe yeah. at this point. She's pretty unknown, but maybe, you know, has been around a few movie studios. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, okay, mm -hmm. so if you've prob heard of Patty Arbuckle, you've probably not heard positive things, even though he, in his professional career, was talked about as being kind and generous and smart and, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly. Um, this scandal is pretty much what taints him for the rest of his life. So on September 3rd, 1931, Roscoe leaves Los Angeles uh, with two friends to go to San Francisco, Fred Fishback and Lyle Sherman. He just wanted a vacation for a few days. They were going to be gone for three days because at this point he is a work machine churning out movies. So they're going to take a little three-day weekend. No big deal. Uh, they check into their rooms on the 12th floor. It is uh, two bedrooms with a l adjoining living room in the middle. So, yeah, there's a living room. Off to one side is a bathroom and a bedroom. And then off to the other side is another bathroom and a bedroom. Roscoe shares a room with Lyle Sherman. And Fred Fishback gets his own room. Uh, so, in the 1920s, San Francisco was known as an open town during prohibition. So alcohol was illegal, but it was very common in San Francisco. <laughs> you like know? weed was back in the day. And yeah. It was illegal, yeah. but people still smoked it in San Francisco. So they even have nightclubs and there's alcohol being served. Yeah. So uh, Roscoe uh, had a case of bootleg booze delivered to the room from a local nightclub uh, at 11 a.m., Oh, oh. Yeah. At 11 a.m., a friend of Fred's comes by to the room, and he mentions that Virginia Rappe is staying at his hotel. Uh, so Roscoe claims that he knows who Virginia Rappe is um, and says, hey, yeah, bring her over, you know. Virginia Rappe comes over, and she invites a woman named Maude Delmont. Maude Delmont, from what I have read, is a socialite. But she basically gets her way up the ranks by conning people, oh. uh, blackmail, uh, extortion, um, basically any type of scam, she's done it. Uh, and for some reason, she's not well known for that, but people know her. So I don't really mm -hmm. know what that's about. Well, 
I kind of do, but <laughs> anyways. So more and more people start to show up. Roscoe didn't really want this party to go on. He kind of wanted to just relax. To chill. Uh, he also had um, an afternoon meeting, so he didn't want to be drunk at this meeting. Um, so uh, Maud and Lyle leave the living room and go off to Lyle's room. Uh, sorry. Roscoe's rooming with Fred. Lyle has his own room. So Maude and Lyle leave. Okay? So he's in this room with this lady blackmailer. Um, <laughs> and uh, at some point, Virginia Rappé doesn't feel so good. Mm. So she gets up to go to the bathroom, heads to Lyle's room, but can't get in because Lyle's in there with Maude doing something. So uh, Maude tells her, go use the other bathroom. So she... Virginia walks across the living room again, goes into uh, Roscoe and Fred's bathroom. Uh, Roscoe had an afternoon appointment, like I said, so he goes into the room to freshen up and finds Virginia on the floor of the bathroom. Mm. So he just assumes that she's sick from drinking too much. Mm -hmm. So he picks her up and he puts her on the bed. Mm -hmm. He showers uh, and shaves. He takes about 10 minutes in the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, well, he's just, like, freshening up before it's a, his meeting. Yeah, guys can do that. I, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's a fairly short time. Mm -hmm. But long enough for people to notice that he's been missing from the living room. Okay? So, uh, when he finishes, he comes out, and he sees Virginia has been sick all over his room. And uh, so he runs out, and that's when he tells the other guests. He phones the front front desk Maud and Lyle come out of the bathroom to see what's going on at that point okay the hotel calls for a physician who concludes that she's suffering from an excess of alcohol that's what this physician says yeah. just by looking at her like there has not she been yeah yeah there's been no physical exam yet okay he just looks at her and goes oh I see all these alcohol bottles and she's She's, Growing up, yeah. you know, lady drunk here. Um, <laughs> lady drunk. The polite thing. You know? Uh, so, anyways, uh, a female nurse is called as well at one point, and there's, she says that there's no evidence of physical injury. So she's ill, but not physically harmed in any way. Okay. Okay? So, but she isn't taken the to the hospital for three days. Uh, when she does get taken to the hospital, she's taken to a maternity hospital, uh, and she dies within 24 hours. Wait, did they say why they took her to a maternity hospital? No. <laughs> well, uh, uh, okay. Was it the closest one? Um, we don't know why she was taken there. Uh, so she dies within 24 hours at this hospital. She's 27 years old. Uh, she had... Uh, what they call an acute abdomen and a fever. So physicians today who were analyzing this, I actually got all this information from... Like, did she really die of alcohol poisoning? Paul Merton's The Birth of Hollywood. There's going to be a lot of questions, and I don't have all the okay, answers so for them. Okay, so this is the mystery. <laughs> so this is the mystery okay, part here. Mystery so part. I'm just going to no, give you the information it. as it, it is. Um, and... 
I won't be able to answer all the questions because there's Great. a lot That's of unanswered no, questions. Fantastic. Uh, okay. So, uh, anyways, where was I? Um, physicians today have, um, like, kind of analyzed the case and decided that it was acute abdomen. Oh, wait, acute abdomen? Not a, a like acute abdomen, she got but, ripped abs. but, but like. <laughs> Acute, which basically means like there's a swelling or pain or an infection. Oh, okay. Uh, and a fever. And so this means that something has ruptured, like Ooh. appendicitis, uh, and there's probably uh, an infection in it, you know, yeah. like appendicitis. I'm not saying it yeah. is appendicitis, but something in her is ruptured and infected. Um, so when the autopsy was done, uh, and the body went to the, so, uh, when the body autopsy was done, the body goes to the coroner and all of its pelvic organs have been removed. So they're never able to do a proper autopsy of, uh, of Virginia Rappe. So, yeah, so the so question is, the, what happened? the theory is that she was either having some sort of problem with an abortion that she had had that was illegal and went to the maternity hospital to be like, yo, fix this. Something went wrong a couple days ago when I had that abortion or whatever. Uh, And when something goes wrong and she dies at the maternity hospital, they need to get rid of all the evidence. So that's the theory right now. Anyways, that makes sense. So yeah. Roscoe gets the news when he's back home in Hollywood uh, of Virginia's death. Maude Delmont starts telling a story that it's Roscoe's fault. She says that Virginia was screaming and that she's the one that called for help. Mm-hmm. So she yeah, starts to talk us, tell a story basically that Roscoe was on top of her. Virginia was screaming, he did it, he killed me, he killed me, you know, which, you know, is what you say, I, I guess, say, yeah, before you he, die, right, like, yeah. I don't understand. Or he's killing me, that's... maybe she was, in, she didn't know how to conjugate she her birth, she was okay. yeah. yeah. stress, she yeah. was using the past <laughs> tense, maybe, you know, that's... okay, we'll go with it, we'll Who see. Who knows, uh, see. so Roscoe returns to San Francisco to be questioned, but at this point, he doesn't know that they are basically blaming him he thinks that he's just being questioned about oh well she died they need the information about what happened you know so he doesn't think this interview is going to go the way it ends up going yeah uh women's groups storm the courthouse having heard the stories in the newspaper that Maude Delmont had, has been selling to the newspapers. Mm. The police arrest mm. Roscoe with no evidence and charge him with murder. On Monday, is that the next page? Okay, yes. On Monday, September 12, 1921, uh, Matthew Brady, uh, he is the attorney on the other side. Who's representing, I guess, Virginia Rappe? So he from... would be the defense? No, the... no, prosecution. Yes. Okay, I was okay. hoping you would know that. <laughs> um, Matthew Brady takes this case because he wants the fame from it. He wants to become California he governor. He has a high profile. Oh, as a district attorney, I'm... that's a good stepping stone to get yeah. your way up there. Yeah. yeah. So his name's all over the newspapers. 
papers that uh, were spread by a Mr. William Randolph Hearst. Oh, this guy. So many. Yay. Oh, Michelle's here. Hey, Michelle. Yeah, I said, hi. Uh, so, papers by William Randolph Hearst spin the story the most. Hearst owned almost 50 magazines and newspapers at the time. There is a picture of Roscoe Arbuckle that they painted jail bars over to make it look like he was in jail. And oh people believed, God. even to this day, believe that picture. Um, really? Yeah. Yep. It's called Yellow Journalism. Right. Sensational. Yeah, I'll right, talk yeah, about it a bit yeah. in the yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so uh, the the charge is dropped to manslaughter because they have nothing on him. Buster Keaton wanted to come and be a character witness, but he's told by Roscoe's lawyers uh that san francisco was so anti-hollywood that his own career would be damaged by oh. coming to talk about uh yeah i can see roscoe yep. wow. so charlie chaplin he's in london at the time he says i can't believe i cannot believe it uh i cannot believe that roscoe had anything to do with virginia rapace's death i know roscoe to be a genile easygoing type that would not uh, that would not hurt a fly. This quote is reported in London. However, it is not reported in the United States. Of that course. Uh, so Maude Delmont is never called to the stand because her uh, story keeps changing and he she is an unreliable witness. So what? she's not even... She's the one spreading all this and she's not and even... making money, though. She's yeah. making money off this story. Yeah. So, so the first trial... All of the jurors believe him, except for one. One member of the jury, Helen Hubbard, says, Arbuckle is definitely guilty and nothing would change my mind. Damn it, Helen. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> later, uh, it's, uh, later it emerges that her husband uh, was an attorney that had connections to Matthew Brady. Wait, don't, aren't they supposed to be asking, the, the, like, when they pick a... Maybe I mean, they didn't this is 1921, so I'm not entirely Andy sure. Who? I was Damn it, Helen. I was surprised that like women were on the jury. Honestly, <laughs> I don't really know how yeah. things go with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she yeah. was allowed to speak. What? Uh, what? 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 They had voices. I just imagine like Atticus Finch talking. Like, uh, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Uh. Okay. Yes. So, so Helen, Helen ruined it for everybody because yes. she had connections. So there's a hung jury, basically, because it has to be unanimous. Yes. Um, so there has to be a second trial. Uh, Roscoe's legal team, believing that they had basically won the first trial, uh, failed to call anybody to testify for the second trial. So it's eight to four in mm. favor of guilty. So there yeah. has to be a third trial. At the third trial, Virginia's medical records are finally brought up uh she had a series of abortions that had ruined her health from an early age so that's brought up wow i mean no judgment but yeah that that makes what you were saying yeah more likely that there might have been a real serious complication because of it yeah um I also found out you can get hepatitis from drinking. Isn't that crazy? No, that is, I knew that. Yes, yeah, yes, you can. It's it is crazy, yeah. It messes up your liver. Yep. <laughs> As I, that, um, That's the brand of wine. 
I don't want to drink this now. I'm good for now. Okay. Anyways, uh, uh, and her medical record said that she had not been injured in any way that would appear that she was assaulted. The trial was acquitted, but the damage had already been done. Uh, Adolf Zucker, the head of Paramount and other producers, wanted to protect their hugely profitable industry. So six days after the acquittal on April 18th, 1922, Arbuckle's films are banned from the screen. Yeah, the ban is lifted later at the end of the year from protests from Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, basically urging for that to be lifted so uh, Roscoe could work again. But Roscoe never made another silent film. However, uh, his wife stood by him in the trial, but they separated ways soon after. But she was on his side throughout the whole thing, even though they were estranged at the time. Roscoe was forced to sell his house. He owed an attorney $700,000. In 1925, Charlie made a tribute to Roscoe in the movie The Gold Rush. Uh, if you've ever seen Benny and June or, you know, seen The Gold Rush, uh, it's that bread gag where he puts his yes, forks in the two bra- breads. Roscoe Arbuckle was the first one to ever do that, oh. imitating Charlie Chaplin in a little bit that he did for like a two-reeler short film, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and Charlie Chaplin loved it and remembered it and wanted to honor Roscoe and kind of, they, they did things to get Roscoe, like, involved and to, like, remember their friend. There are rumors that they, like, snuck him into the background of a lot of scenes and stuff so he would still have work. Um, uh, He did direct movies under the name... Hold on. Did I not write this down? Did I not write this down? William Goodrich. Roscoe became a director under the name William Goodrich. Hmm. Uh which is his dad's name. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. I said that earlier. I, I, I believe so, but wine. Wine, yeah. Wine. That's, yeah. That's cool. William Goodrich. Uh, so if you see that name, that is Roscoe Arbuckle directing. Oh, okay. Any notable films? I'm sure there are plenty. Um, so in 1932, Warner, Bra- Warner Brothers... In 1932, (laughs) Warner Brothers gave him the chance to do six two-reel films that were very successful. These are the only film recordings of his voice. Oh. So, in 1933, they signed him to make a feature film. The day that he found out, uh, or he signed the contract, happened to be the first year anniversary to his wife. uh, Oh, my God. His wife. His wife. I cannot read my handwriting oh, at all. Oh, no. No. Addie McHale. Addie McPhail. <laughs> nope. McPhail. McPhail. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> big time. Anyways, his third wife. Okay. Uh, it was their one-year anniversary. He went to go celebrate with his friends who quoted him saying that it was the best day of his life. Later that night, he suffered a heart attack oh. and died in his sleep. Well, he died happy. So oh, rumors, yeah, oh, rumors ha- had it that after uh, this whole case and all of this stuff, that Maude would be seen at parties 
uh, she hired young women to seduce men with the intent to blackmail them with uh, false rape allegations. Wow. There was a rumor so that the, that was her scam after this scam worked out for her. Uh, Virginia Rappe is buried at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, so you can go visit her. And uh, people say that you can hear her spirit crying and be seen crying over her grave. Oh. So uh, when I told this story to my mom, she brought up a good point that nobody actually knows what happened. You know, nobody knows what actually happened except for Roscoe Arbuckle That's and true. Virginia Rappe. So what if she, what if she was assaulted? What if Virginia wants it to be known that something else completely didn't like happen oh is that why she's seen crying yeah or maybe she's crying because she had to have so many gosh darn abortions because men don't wrap their jimmies up how about that (laughs) that's another reason to freaking cry too Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um so who knows nobody knows what actually happened and you know that might explain why virginia is crying you know over her grave she just might be sad you know it could be a Wind. I mean, also, also <laughs> they're all the they're all wasted too. You know, yeah. Like that's the uh, the worst is you know doing something when you're extremely intoxicated. You know, and then yeah. re- recalling it later, or you know, like you then she might believe something happened. You know that didn't, or mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's. I don't know, or or maybe yeah. It seems like there might have been a complication with with a. Previous abortions or multiple ones. This is back yeah. in the nineteen thirties. They were illegal, so you know they're mm-hmm. not as safe as they are today. And just they, she was probably just a very fertile woman, and men just suck. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, true. Who knows? Maybe if birth control had been available in the way that it is now, but yeah. You know, so that's the very sad, sad story. That's a sad one, yeah. yeah. That's good, though. So glad we started with right. that one. Woo! Well done, Pat. Uh, right. Who wants to go next? Uh, it, isn't it Pat's choice? Oh, Pat, yeah, you get to choose who goes next. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, didn't you win the, um, the let me, thingy? Let me switch this Rock, paper, quick. scissors? Okay. <laughs> I already went, so. Ints. That's how, am I pronouncing that right? Ints? Ints? Yeah. Ints? Ints. Ints. Thomas Harbor Ince, I-N-C-E. So we're going to speak about that scandal because, again, it's kind of the more you research it, the more it's almost very similar to your story where the truth is really more mundane and kind of more believable than the scandal Mm -hmm. was. And, yeah. So anyway, so this is about Thomas Harper Ince. I probably am pronouncing that wrong because I just get in my head and anyways. He's in your book that you're reading right now. Oh, what book are you reading? Cast of Killers. They just mentioned him briefly. Which really sucks because he actually, Hollywood history, he kind of did a lot. But then everything gets overshadowed by this scandal. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the scandal is uh, the whole him having died on uh, William Randolph Hearst Sr., his yacht. And William Randolph Hearst was a very 
a wealthy, influential person that always kind of got his way. Mm -hmm. And so there was a movie called The Cat's Meow that was made out of it. The book that I mentioned the last time I was here, uh, where Patricia Hearst, she, you know, helped, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about writing it and everything. Um, so I'm just going to go briefly into Ince's life because there's so much. He, if you are into Hollywood history, he's definitely somebody you kind of want, want to look up because he really uh, did a lot to create kind of almost the modern producer and kind of uh, set up the systems how movies can be made today very efficiently and quickly. Um, but we're going to talk about the scandal. Okay, so Thomas Harper Ince was born on November 16th of 1880. He was a first-generation American. His parents were immigrants from England, and he was born in Rhode Island. Uh, his father had moved around a little bit of odd jobs, but finally they did settle down in Manhattan. And when they settled down in Manhattan, pretty much the whole family kind of just went into acting or theater in some form or another. So he kind of got that background. And this kind of set up his career into getting into the movie. So he started over in the, the East Coast. Uh, he, a chance, he ran into a friend who was part of this production company and was like, hey, we used to work in, a, in an acting troupe together. Why don't you come along and do some work? And so that happened about 1910. And he started working with the Biograph Company. And the director of this company was D.W. Griffith. And D.W. Griffith was so impressed with Ince's work ethic and ability, he actually hired him on as a production coordinator uh, for his company. And his hard work really kind of got him known and kind of got his uh, foot in the door to work with other companies, including Independent Motion Pictures Company, which was run by Carl Lemley. Yeah, dun, 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 dun. So, you know, Universal Pictures. This was back when he was over on the East Coast, though. And so, um, okay. what Still happened? Still impressive, yeah, hitting yeah. all those marks. You Just know, hitting it, yeah, that Hollywood. So, what happened was, for one of their films, the director that they had was not able to finish the film. So, Ince was like, hey, Lemley, why don't you hire me? I'll finish the film, and mm -hmm. then you can just hire me as a full-time director. And Lemley's like, sure, why not? So Ince kind of started uh, making a bit of a career for himself. He started making movies uh, in Cuba, and there were like one, two real films. That's because they wanted to get away from Edison and all of his BS and the oh, patents nice. and everything. Mm -hmm. So he was churning out these one, two real films for uh, Carl Lemley's production company at the time, Independent Motion Pictures, and he was really getting into Westerns. That was kind of his bread and butter, and he was kind mm -hmm. of at the later on known as the one who uh created the western this was and again silent film so we're I still like talking you could yeah. film those pretty well in cuba too anywhere you know. and horses oh that's yeah. true yeah, yeah. yeah. And cowboy hats mm -hmm. bam you got that's it all we need exactly Hat, get us some horses there we go westerns we can do this and some hats uh, <laughs> so Ince was also very much, he wanted, he always kept wanting to do more. He was never satisfied with whatever he was doing. So he only worked for IMP for about a year because he was kind of just tired of all of what was happening on the East Coast. And he's like, I want to go out to California where they're, they're really making those movies. Um, and when he came out to California, he started working again for various uh, production companies 
And he was really known, again, like I said, for creating uh, the role of almost the modern producer. So it kind of, the movies used to be in the hands of the director or the cinematographer, uh, the person working the camera. And he was the one that was really like, no, we're going to have a producer that's going to oversee the entire role of the movie from the script writing to production mm -hmm. to editing. And when he would do movies, he would actually hire out individual. He would hire a scriptwriter. He would hire a director. He would hire an editor because beforehand things were done. It was the director was the one that was having to do all of this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So his way of um, hiring these single positions of really overseeing all the productions really made it to where these companies could start producing a lot of these films very quickly. And he was doing a lot of Westerns um, very quickly at the time. And then at pretty much any company that he would work with, he was all about, let's buy land, let's um, build, let's build our own studios, let's build our own sets. Um, and in fact, he was known for uh, kind of creating what is now known as the Triangle Ranch. Um, it no longer exists, but it was up in the Palisades. I think there's that really beautiful meditation gardens that is there now. Um, but anyways, it was, you know, a huge production uh, where they had this, the outdoor sets, they had the sound stages, they had the places where the actors were. So he was all about, you know, pretty much uh, creating the, the modern studio that we know of mm -hmm. uh, today. But he was always really working for other companies and he kind of, and this is really condensing a lot of his work very shortly because I know we don't have so much time. Um, but anyways, he was uh, did a lot of work for these different production companies, was really known as the one to make money, was really, uh, you know, came from, you know, no money and just came into California and just kind of changed the entire way that movies were made. But he wanted to work for himself. And so he bought up some land uh, down in Culver City and he created the Thomas H. Ince Studios. And that operated from 1990 until 1924 and was later known as the 40 Acres. And you can, I think you can still take tours there um, because it is still a production uh, company. It is now the home to Brooks Films, which is owned by Mel Brooks. Oh, oh yeah, again, okay. so it's still there. Um, so that's where we are when uh, Ince encounters William Randolph Hearst Sr. So William Randolph Hearst uh, pretty much was already born into a very rich home. His family was a millionaire. And again, I'm just condensing his life as well. Um, he owned Hearst Communication. It was one of the nation's largest newspaper and media companies. He was the one that was known as creating the yellow journalism, uh, which Tia kind of mentioned uh, the whole cartoon with Fatty Arbuckle, uh, it with the, the... Oh, no, he painted bars over, over an his, actual oh, okay, photograph. Over his actual face. So yeah. the whole yellow journalism is like the sensational journalism of, you know, let's see, uh, grab you with those, like clickbait, pretty much. Right, clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. Titles. yeah. That's why yeah. killers have names, you know. Yeah, they all have, of that stuff. Yeah. Just very sensational, like, in your face. Who really cares if it's true? Yeah. Let's just sell these. Well, killers have names, papers. like catchy nicknames yeah what I meant. yeah exactly. <laughs> um and of read course we know that when william randolph Hearst <laughs> wants something he's gonna try to get it we with the whole cannabis uh 
misconception, you know, the hemp oh, was yeah. really threatening the paper industry. Right. He had money in that, so he colluded uh, basically to just release all this propaganda about how cannabis was bad and, and, and just, the Mexicans oh my gosh well. and it had far-reaching consequences long afterwards well still to this day like oh, yeah, this exactly far, day, long afterwards you know like why why don't we have hemp clothing why don't we have hemp well we you know? do but why is it not as readily available why has yeah. it been so vilified for so long it's because yeah. this very rich person who was also a politician who knew how to work the system was able to do whatever he wanted to get his way so yeah. he was pretty much known for that uh, now, Hertz uh, was uh, here in California. Rosebud. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so in 1919, that's when he began his building of Hertz Castle. Uh, so he's already here in the San Simeon area. And he wanted to move his uh, production company from New York out here to California because that is where it was happening. Uh, but he wasn't really popular with a lot of Hollywood as well because of his reputation for it being wanting to do whatever he wanted to do uh he mm -hmm. wanted to get into the movie making business united artists was like eh, we don't know that's when he created his own the cosmetop cosmopolitan um uh cosmopolitan productions and so he was going to move it out here to california now at this time it's about 1924 um Ince had pretty Ince had pretty much his peak had already happened even though he had his own production company, he still didn't have as much power as he had had years in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're thinking why he was um, doing this deal with Hearst. To have Hearst's production company kind of use his studios. So there was going to be that kind of merger between those two. And on the night of November 15th, uh, 1924, Hertz went and visited Ince at his house and was like, hey, your birthday is tomorrow, the 16th. Why don't I throw you a nice little soiree on my yacht? We can celebrate your birthday and then we can discuss the details of the companies, you know, coming together. Um, now, also at the time, Hearst was seeing uh, Marion Davies. So Marion Davies was an actress at the time, and Cosmopolitan Pictures was really pushing her. And so Hearst had a couple of reasons why he wanted to make sure that the Cosmopolitan uh, Productions was being in good hands. It's something that he would be able to have control over. He knew that Ian still had some clout, but was not as powerful as mm -hmm. he was in the Hollywood industry as he had used to be. So then here is pretty much what happened on record. So the night of the 16th, uh, Ince goes to dinner on the yacht and he takes the train down. There's the people there. They're celebrating his birthday. Uh, while they're celebrating his birthday, Ince consumes a champagne and also has some almonds, which you think that's nothing, right? The champagnes and almonds. But Ince was also suffering from peptic ulcers. And those are two things that they tell you you cannot eat when you're when you have those this makes me really want champagne and, and almonds right now yeah. so he got <laughs> sick he actually got really bad indigestion because of this now because he got so sick he leaves the yacht with dr goodman who is a doctor he's not a practicing physician at the time but he is a doctor they take a train down to del mar where ince is then treated by another doctor 
and nurse. So then while he's down there in Del Mar, Ince goes ahead, he calls his wife and his family and his own personal physician to come down to Del Mar with him, to him. They go down to Del Mar, and then they all travel back up to Los Angeles, where later Ince does die. And Ince's own uh, personal physician was Dr. Ida Cohen Glasgow, and he was the one that went ahead and pronounced Ince dead and said that he had died of heart failure. Now, at the time, they were treating him for angina, which is uh, the chest pains. Mm -hmm. um, but later on, Ince's son, William, becomes a physician. And he's saying just based on the, the symptoms that his father was going through, that he believes his father was suffering from thrombosis, which is a blood clot that could have, again, led to his death. He had also been in a car accident a couple of years beforehand, mm -hmm. which had also I, led to some other health issues. So pretty much on record, the family is very much convinced that William Ince died of health complications. Um, there was no foul play. The police weren't involved. No one was involved because no one thought anything bad had happened. Now, here's the scandal, though. So this took place on Sunday. Uh, he dies a few days later. So that's the 16th. He dies on the 19th. So he dies about three days later. Uh, not on the yacht. So he dies up in Los Angeles. He was not on the yacht when he was pronounced dead by, the, by his physician. Mm -hmm. uh, but Wednesday morning, the L.A. Times ran a headline that movie producer shot on Hearst's yacht. And then by then, the nightfall, this headline has completely disappeared. Okay. Mm. Later, the LA Times released uh, his obituary that said that he had died of heart failure, which is on the death certificate. Mm -hmm. So, of course, this to the general public, if you really don't know what happened, this seems really weird that, oh my gosh, you're seeing the headlines with movie producer being shot, and then it seems like it's being hush hush and it's being quieted mm. up. Mm. So now rumors mm. had already started that night. Um, so about seven months after Ince's death, his wife leaves the country and moves to Europe. Um, but this was seen as her fleeing the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, no, it was really only seventh month later. Uh, people were saying that she fled the country because Hertz was gonna had paid her off, had created a trust fund for her, and was gonna buy off one of their mortgages for the apartment building to keep her to keep her quiet about what actually happened. Mm -hmm. But in reality, she left seven months later. She was already wealthy. She didn't need a yeah. trust fund, yeah. and then the building that he had supposedly paid off the mortgage had already been paid off. It was an apartment building that had been built on land that was already previously owned by Ince. So there was no mortgage to pay off. She already owned um, all of yeah. this. So that was like one of the things you're like, oh, scandal. Um, what <laughs> they think might have happened, uh, how the scandal kind of started was Charlie Chaplin was on the boat. So here we mm -hmm. go. Um, his valet uh, claimed that he saw them carrying Ince's body that the night of the 16th onto shore for, uh, on a stretcher. And that Ince's valet then later told his wife that he, quote-unquote, uh, Ince's head was bleeding from a bullet wound. 
So this rumor just spread within mm. that servant community that worked a lot within Beverly Hills. So that kind of spread like fire. Um, another r- rumor that was going around um, was that uh, Eleanor Glynn, who was on the boat at the time, was saying that everybody on that boat was sworn to secrecy. So she couldn't really talk about what had happened, <laughs> kind of like nudging that, oh, it was more than just natural causes mm-hmm. that had created it. And then the story started to go off that what the scandal was, was that Marion Davis was having an affair with Charlie Chaplin mm. and that uh, William Randolph Hearst saw Marion talking with Thomas Ince, thinking that Thomas Ince was Charlie Chaplin and that he shot him in the head and that created this huge cover up to get the body and then you know, paid off the wife and then made everybody on the boat just keep very quiet and all of this stuff. And like, that was the actual scandal, you know, Mm -hmm. and paid off uh, Mrs. Ince and everything. Um, But even though the whole family was like, nothing happened, detectives weren't brought in, there was really no foul play. They had an open casket uh, where his, it was open for about an hour so that people could see it. Nobody says they saw a bullet wound, uh, Mm -hmm. none of that. His own son, who was there at his father's deathbed, says that, no, my dad died of thrombosis. Um, And then later, Charles Davis, a leader, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, he's a a screenwriter and and a director. He's the one that kind of told that whole story about uh, Charlie Chaplin and the affair with Marion Davis and Thomas Ince getting shot in the head accidentally. He's the one that kind of told that story because he was uh, Marion Davis's nephew. He told it to Peter Bogdanovich, and I know I'm, I'm butchering, Bogdanovich, Peter Bogdanovich, <laughs> and he was the director of The Cat's Meow that came out in 2001. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the movie that is loosely based on what happened that night. And that kind of goes a little bit more into like the scandalous idea that it wasn't until after they were out on the yacht that Hertz and Ince had decided to combine forces. Uh, they allude to the fact that Ince's wife was kind of ready to leave him. So that's why she was just so willing to take the payoff and that Marion Davis mm-hmm. and Charlie Chapman was just having this very obvious affair mm-hmm. and that they show the scene where Ince is talking to Marion Davis, basically saying, hey, if you're going to be working for my company, you really got to keep this affair on the DL because it, William Randolph Hearst, he is not having it. They're having that conversation. William Randolph Hearst comes in, shoots Ince thinking he's Charlie Chaplin, and then that's where the whole cover-up comes in. Now, it, it seems likely that there's a scandal because it's William Randolph Hearst. He gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. He's known for doing whatever he can mm-hmm. to... He's what, got a yeah. few enemies. Exactly. He does <laughs> have a few enemies or whatever. And so that's where I can see where the scandal kind of blowing up and the whole LA Times kind of releasing that, mm-hmm. that title before really getting all the information. Mm-hmm. But again, it was one of those things where, where you actually look at the information... He he died of heart failure. He wasn't shot. I don't I don't believe he was really shot in the head, and that it was kind of just a misfortune. Why would 
that yeah, it just doesn't make sense the whole scandal thing and it thinks mm-hmm. it was that there was just people that wanted to be in the limelight uh something might have been misseen misheard got blown out of proportion uh it happens today yeah, so yeah, exactly. um they were uh, his wife was interviewed and she basically said she said do you think i would have done nothing if I even suspected that my husband had been a victim of foul play on anyone's part. So she's saying the reason she didn't, you know, have an investigation because mm-hmm. there wasn't any foul play. People say, well, she was ready to leave him, so she just took the payoff. That's what some people think. Mm-hmm. And then when William Randolph Hearst was asked about it, he said, not only am I innocent of this murder, so is everybody else. But of course, we all know he's just going to say whatever he wants. But in this point in time, yes, he was a okay. the was one terrible. time that he's innocent. Maybe, May, exactly. Maybe like the I mean, one time. Yeah. Uh, but just the 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 evidence is really is showing yeah. that he he probably died of heart failure, mm-hmm. and it's just very. He was young. He was only forty four. That really sucks. Yeah. But that the a previous accident, the accident, and then him overindulging in things that he knew he wasn't supposed to eat yeah, or drink yeah. kind of exasperated and champagnes issue. on soda i don't right know now. but why don't we just have like an ince party and it's just S- almonds and champagne, champagne and then it. someone mysteriously gets shot but they but, don't but, or they don't or they just die of heart <laughs> failure <laughs> yeah or somebody gets indigestion that's what really happened he got indigestion and left the party yeah. it's it's so Boring, and they say the thing is is that this whole scandal really overshadows all of the amazing work he he did for Hollywood, mm-hmm. for the industry, how he really streamlined the movie making process. Um, so really, he's a very fascinating person. Definitely, if you're interested in Hollywood history, he's somebody to uh, to look at. Look at what he did. He was always thinking ahead and out of the box, and really, maybe that's how you should think of him as just uh, really one of the founding fathers of our modern Hollywood and not some some scandal that probably didn't even happen. And I'm not even a fan of Hearst. I don't like to defend him, but again, yeah. I, think he, I think he's innocent. That's my... It opinion. is satisfying, though, knowing he got, for, at one point, got a taste of his own medicine. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. A things little did, bit. Things did not end up too well for him, mm. but um, there we go. So that's... Uh, that's the scandal, Yay. and not really a mystery. So it's still yeah. interesting uh, learning all the history too, especially about oh, yeah. like, the origin of the western and stuff too. I never really knew that. Yeah, that's, he was really he was cool. the one. He loved it, and he, he there's again. I didn't want to go too much into his history, but he is really uh, a heavy hitter in the Hollywood movie making mm-hmm. industry, and really paid. He was a trailblazer. <laughs> And how we make movies. I can tell where you got all of these stories. This is definitely. A... I picked them at random. Really? Uh, <laughs> no, they all a... seem connected. There's definitely a, uh, a recurring theme, I guess. Okay, cool. Throughout them. This... Is it Charlie Chaplin? I picked yours and mine to go together. I picked his out of. Uh, well, this one's definitely the, a little yeah. bit more. There's definitely some sh- some stuff going on, you know, like. That you there's a, there's a lot less chance of it being just you know like sensational, sensa- you know yeah okay. sensational. Okay. But, right. okay. but cool. um yeah so um I'm gonna talk to you guys about uh, Gene Spangler, um 
And uh, before I get started, I got a lot of my information from a bunch of different places. Uh, the Life and Times of Hollywood.com, uh, MariaMusica.com. I don't understand why it's called that. Um, and then, of course, uh, Wikipedia and uh, Mysteries and Scandals with my homeboy AJ Benza. Um, yeah, we don't. I, don't I like it. mysteries I don't and scandals, but sometimes their information's not quite. No, you gotta double check it. Yes, they're you... super sensationalized. They actually interviewed uh, this guy who was a crime novelist, you know, and he like literally like he de- he described some of the details like of of the incident, and this happened, you know, in the forties. So like. You know, there was definitely no fucking video footage or anything like that, you know, or audio clips of this. So when you describe some of it, like, no, how, how would you know that, you know? Yeah. Like, like, you know, and like, and he thought to himself, I'm going to do, wait, wait, how did you know he thought to himself? Hmm. Um, I but, know what you think to yourself. That's, that's true, yeah. It's what a wonderful think? world. What am I thinking <laughs> now? Yeah, definitely not. Um, so Jean Spangler was born in Seattle in 1923. Uh, she moved to Los Angeles. Uh, when she was 11 years old, she graduated Franklin High School in 1941. Uh, 1942, she married her high school sweetheart, who was Dexter Bennett. Um, Mine too. Yeah. With Dexter Bennett um, was your high school sweetheart. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. Ew. Yeah. Right. Man, he's a, he's a bad dude. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so they uh, she gets pregnant. Um, I'm sorry. She, sorry, she gets pregnant, and then uh, Bennett actually gets uh, charted out to, he was uh, in the army, so he gets sent out to the war, uh, World War Two. that's what it was going on. Ah. Oh. Uh, mm. yeah. The second world war. Um, mm. She, while he's out fighting the good fight, she actually hangs out with an Air Force lieutenant named Scotty. Um, He comes back, finds out about it, they divorce, and Dexter gets custody. Um, Mostly, I mean, it was not mostly, but partial reasons for that were because it was actually a lot easier for men to have custody, apparently, back then. Interesting. Like, nowadays, it's um, kind of reversed. Or at least yes, it was, you yeah, know, for the past yeah. Depending on what state you're in. That's yeah. true, yeah. But for the most part. But for the yeah. most part, yeah. yeah. The men have a harder time, I guess. Um, There's but, more biased against But yeah. there, were, there was obvious, uh, she was also being unfaithful in the marriage, obviously. She was dating this guy while, Wait, while he, he so was Scotty gone. Scotty did know. Did you say Gene Spangler's name? Sorry, I blacked out just now. <laughs> Just making sure that you had said it. A couple times. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Gene Spangler. That's who I'm talking about right now. Um, so they divorce, Dexter gets custody. Um, like I said, he, he insisted that um she was unfaithful during the marriage and she couldn't be trusted. So um they they actually he convinces the court this, um, but later on they she actually comes back you know to court and it actually becomes clear that she was working uh rather than hanging around clubs and stuff like that um she was actually working late nights to support her daughter and her family um but for the sake of her career she um didn't want to talk about any of that so she kept all of that under wraps and that's actually why Bennett won custody but she wasn't done apparently once um 
once they she she realized or Dexter found out that she was still going to be fighting in court, um, he became so upset that he actually threatened Jean Spangler. So she he actually told her, uh, and this was in court saying, uh, he would make sure she never saw her daughter ever again. So they're like. You kind of seem like an unstable guy. You well, know? Like, so you this isn't necessarily a murder threat. No, more yeah, like a legal like. But yeah. it's a weird thing, okay. to, you know, in public, you know. So, uh, in court, this you know, perfect weapon. So, uh, after you know, a, even a longer extended custody battle, um, uh, she was able to win back her daughter's custody, and that was in uh, nineteen forty-eight. Um, the judge just believed she was in better. Um, and so, yeah, according to MariaMusica.com, uh, 1945, Jean entered the show business scene, and she was a dancer, uh, for the Florentine Gardens. Oh, okay. That's a big club down here yeah, in LA it was, it for was, a long time, but it I was, want to It say. was huge when it, when Hollywood was first, you know, huge. you know, in its heyday. Yeah. Nowadays, it's... It was, like, super scuzzy when, like, I first came out right, here, and yeah. now I'm pretty sure that it's closed. I think it's turning into something else right now. Yeah. Remember. Well, yeah, it's... <laughs> I want to say it was... No, I'm wrong. Never mind. Where the old spaghetti factory was for a while. Maybe but... you're right. Maybe you're but right. But now yeah, I'm, like... It could be. I'm... Uh, but anyway, I... so, yeah, Florentine Gardens, Ciro's, Macombo, and Earl Carroll's Theater. Um, she was also said to have danced at El Rancho Vegas in Nevada. Uh, she became a regular showgirl, and she also began taking roles as, uh, uh, she was doing a lot of extra work. Um, she did films such as Miracle of the Bells, When My Baby Smiles at Me, Chicken Every Sunday, and Young Man with a Horn. It's really funny doing research when you come across the movie titles. It's like you don't even need to put dates in your shit anymore. You're like, oh, okay, this. Yeah, we know. Young, young man with a horn. Yeah, that wasn't two thousand and one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was the chicken one that you just said? Chicken every Sunday, and when my baby smiles at me. Yeah, these also sound. When like my 40, baby smiles. These at also me. sound like forties songs too. Yeah. Chicken every Sunday. I'm just a young man with a horn. Ba -dam, ba -dam, ba -dam. Yep, I'm gonna write that. The horn man. That's the what it would be called yeah. today. Yeah. Chicken every Sunday would be called Sunday's Chicken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when my baby smiles at me, like me. It is when my baby twerks. Uh, she wanted. <laughs> she wanted to be in uh, movies. Um, so. A lot of people. When I did my research, it was kind of a the tip that. She was going, uh, you know, dating, dining for dinner. Dining for you know, dinner. She was seen at a lot hey, of Hey, sometimes like you got to do it. Well, no, dating for dinner. Dining for dinner. I guess most people do that. I yeah. knew what you were going at. Uh, but uh, still, you can't blame a girl. I just want know. some men, champagne men do and it almonds. Too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next um, time, I will, I will get some champagne and almonds, and then we'll all get indigestion. Can they be Jordan almonds? I didn't know that. Why did it have to be specific? Because they're candy. pastel colors. <laughs> oh, well, they're even worse for your stomach. Right. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like I said, she was seen with, like, the Hollywood, you know, uh, upscale men and stuff like that in the, in the industry. 
Uh, she was also seen with uh, at Ciro's with Ronald Reagan, uh, who would become president decades later. But at this um, time, he was an actor. Yeah, he was just an actor at that time. Just mm-hmm. a measly actor. Uh, <laughs> oh, freaking actors, man. Don't worry. I, I saw on TV they're not real people. Not <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate that in a casting breakdown when they're like, real, real families. Right, it's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, like, well, like, no, I live in LA. We, you're not allowed to have a real family. We're looking you for gotta move real outside people. of LA. Um, so she was just like um, having fun in Hollywood. She was actually getting some work, but mostly she was like a dancer, a this, you know. She was just she's, she's what she, she was hustling. Yeah, exactly. You know, but she was actually in a few things. You know, um, so she was just yeah known for being like a fun, outgoing person. A lot of people wanted to be around her. I can relate to that. Right? Yeah. Like you can see my elbow in Paranormal Activity 3. The marked yeah. one. No, no, that's no. True. That's not Paranormal Activity 3. It's Paranormal Activity but 5. five. Oh, five. Yeah, that's right. I probably points. watched that movie more times than you have. <laughs> I love it. Oh, cool. Where's yeah. my elbow then? I don't know. <laughs> I know what party scene you're talking about. But I mean, if you pointed out your elbow, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I was totally... I knew this elbow. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, on Friday, October 7th, 1949, 26-year-old Jean Elizabeth Spangler uh, leaves her home on Colgate Avenue um, in the Wilshire District of Boston, like Park La Brea area. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, around 5.30 p.m. Uh, at this time, she lived with her daughter, Christine uh, Louise Bennett, uh, and her mother, Florence, who moved in with her to help her raise Christine. Uh, because she wasn't with Dexter anymore. Mm. Dexter, yeah. Right. Maybe that's going to lead into the end later. Um, so, and he also <laughs> he also lived with uh, her uh, brother and sister-in-law. Uh, so she was actually heading to the farmer's market, and she told her sister-in-law that um, she was meeting Dexter Bennett because he was a week overdue on child support payments, um, and she also wanted to talk to him about increasing the child support payments. Mm-hmm. Um, so she told her, you know, like, um, if can you watch my kid, basically. And she, it, it was never a thing, and this was kind of something she normally did. You know, it was Sophie just said, "Yeah, go, okay, no problem." Um, so also, um, she mentioned that she was going to be doing a nighttime film shoot. Uh, right after she meets Dexter Bennett. So she leaves her daughter. Um, oh, this is the part oh. where I told you that the crime historian that I saw on Mysteries and Scandals, the crime historian says that, I didn't write this because I didn't want to use it, but he was like, he she walked down the steps and she winked at her sister-in-law. Then she gave a kiss to her dad. I was like, how the fuck did you know that she winked at her sister-in-law? Right. Like, like why, yeah. why are you saying this is a fact on like a 25-minute show? You know, yeah. and like give me some real shit, you know. But like yeah. it was like crime novelist. It was like yeah. It's I like, had to fact check a lot of mysteries and scandals when we were form forming our tour. Well, it's also that's uh, like old information too. You know. Yeah. Like, mysteries and scandals was like a '90s show. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember like when we had the Knickerbocker and we had to like take out like half of like the information from yeah. the Knickerbocker? Yeah, that was yeah. a lot. From it's because most of it was from Mysteries and Scandal. Oh. Uh, 
because you know I don't do any actual research. I just watch YouTube videos and hope right. hope for the best. And hope the host Actually, walks the ho- through yeah. a foggy street to introduce the city. I hope he does. I hope one day we will be walking through yeah, foggy right? streets, yeah. introducing oh, things. Me too. Like AJ Benza. Yeah. Like. Um. So. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so she tells her, you know, she's going to meet, uh, go to the film shoot afterwards. Um, and she actually, um, she, she goes to, you know, supposedly goes to these places and then she calls home at around seven o'clock, uh, to check in, you know, with her daughter, like a parent normally would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she tells her like, you know, I'll be home shortly. Never shows up. That's that the last time anyone hears from Jean Spangler ever. Um, so they report her missing. Uh, cops did nothing for a few days because um, they're just used to people going missing for a few days in Los Angeles. That was kind of a thing. Uh, um, another lady disappeared. That's, oh, well. It was kind of like what that. No, it was. Um, no. Yeah, they're definitely like, like that. Yeah. Black Dahlia. This is, the, uh, this is two years after the Black Dahlia. Actually, and yeah, like at this point. Two or three years before the Black Dahlia, uh, oh God, what's a crime uh, crime novelist? His mother, who died. Oh, um, God, who wrote L.A. Confidential? Uh, oh yes, ah, oh, I can't remember. Yeah, what I can know. I remember his name? Eli- no, uh, Jay James Elroy. Elroy, yes, Elroy. There we go. His mother. Yeah. His mother <laughs> was. That was uh, yeah, she was murdered and nothing was done about it that's right yeah Yeah. so um so they put out an apb and the next day griffith park ranger uh finds a purse at the ferndale entrance to griffith park so like right by when you're going up franklin that curve you know so like not really into griffith park where the bear is beginning yeah exactly where that bear is yeah um he finds the purse there there is one strap ripped off um, so police, this indicated there was maybe a struggle of mm-hmm. some kind. It had, uh, Jane Spangler's ID. So that's how they knew it was her. This was around at dawn. This was right at when the sun was coming out. Uh, there was nothing inside the purse besides her ID, um, and a silver dollar, which she carried around for good luck, unfortunately. Um, and a note and the note in the purse said, Kirk. Can't wait any longer. Going to see Dr. Scott. It will work out best this way while Mother is away. Oh. They analyze the handwriting uh, with a, an, mm-hmm. an expert, and it is her handwriting. So they're like, you know, what's going on, you know? So, um, so you know, the uh, let's, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead for a second. I remember this now. Now I know. Because when I assign these, I don't always know everything. Like, that's, I, that's okay. like, I try to write down vague information about it, but then I also try to forget a lot of details, you know? So I can be somewhat surprised, but I totally remember this Kirk, like, note thing. That's so cryptic. According to Jean's mother, Florence, um, a man named Kirk had actually shown up to pick up Jean several times, uh, but he never came into the house. He always just waited outside for Jean, so Florence never saw him. Um, The police 
Uh, and the, the public was wondering if the note possibly referred to famous actor Kirk Douglas. Ooh! The two actually did appear together in a movie titled Young Man with a Horn. <laughs> Giggity. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Jean appeared. She was just an extra in the film. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they, they actually they questioned. Right, yeah, right. Who knows? They questioned Douglas, and he said he barely knew Jean and never interacted with her outside of the movie. Um, however, Kirk Douglas is a total douchebag after what? doing a lot of research. Yeah. Uh, I've got a story. Um, when you're done telling your Kirk story, I have a story. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, if you don't know, um, Kirk Douglas was probably the man that Natalie Wood was referring to when she said she was raped by a powerful Hollywood yes. figure. <gasps> so this I was remember, actually... Sorry, a, I remember reading that somewhere. I don't know if it was for research with you or something that you guys had me do. We, we did do Natalie Wood before, right? We did for, Natalie Wood's story. For uh, Christopher Walken and the, that whole thing. The, yeah. Well, her... her untimely uh her untimely death but i do remember that kirk douglas yeah (laughs) yeah she came out of the room she was crying she was Mm -hmm. like yeah like a teenager at the time and like she was just trying to get into hollywood and somebody was like oh talk to this actor he will help you and then yeah oh yeah so so according to lana wood natalie's sister Mm -hmm. Uh, Natalie was raped by a powerful Hollywood figure during an interview, Mm -hmm. in quotes, that went on for hours inside the famed Chateau Marmont Hotel. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, This was, yeah, something she had claimed in an interview. Um, Kirk Douglas um, actually is an an, an admitted womanizer. Uh, In his biography, he, he actually admits to being kind of a douchebag but well there's was, a difference between raised... being a flirt and being a sexual assaulter you well, know? well it was he he was so idolized in his time he was you know what i mean like you i feel like people just take things to like you know a new level like oh i'm god you know like, i can you, do whatever you're I lucky want. to be with exactly. me i'm kirk douglas yeah. you know like but, i feel like yeah. there was tons of that you know but there's uh, a difference not to give between, him an excuse yeah. at all. I like yeah. to I like to flirt and I like women. I like the company yeah. and I like to be with women who consensually want to be with me, as opposed to I will force whatever woman mm-hmm. I want to be can, with. Me. Can I tell my story real quick? Um, so sure. I'm I'm not going to use any celebrity names. I'm going to be as vague as humanly possible. Charlie Chaplin. Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. Sorry, I just flashed you. I'll turn the camera. Not not in the sexy the way camera. either. So, uh, so as you guys know, like I used to do background work exclusively, like that was my career for like a a year. So I was on a show, uh, that was a semi-popular crime ish type of investigating show. I did background on it and we were told the PAs and whoever was ha- like the wrangler of the extras came up to us and was mm-hmm. like, do not talk to the stars. And we're like, we know that we're, that's like an unwritten rule. Yeah. Like, you don't, don't talk to talent. Don't talk to the talent unless they talk to you. Mm-hmm. Like I've had Patrick Dempsey come up and like talk to us. I've had Wayne Knight come and talk to me. Uh, lots of great people. Uh, God, what's her name? She was the wife on everybody loves Raymond. She, oh, she yes. hit me in the arm yeah. on accident. And then like, 
was like, oh, I'm sorry. I did like one of these to me and I just melted. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't going to like, if you, if you hit me, I can't say, oh, you hit me. You, yeah. Like I, when she says, oh, I'm sorry. I could go, oh, it's okay. Like, because yeah. she talked to me first. Yeah. So that's like the unwritten rule of like, we, I know, but they were like super strict on the set for some reason. Like you do not talk to the talent whatsoever. Do not talk to them. So later on in the day, like someone who was another extra was like, you know why they're being like that, right? Because the star of this show was just in a, a scandal for promising a background actress a part on the show if she would sleep with him. He sleeps with her and he doesn't give her a part in the show. Because so that's she, not his job. Yeah, yeah. So she tries to like sue him and like, sell the story or, like, get it out there. Anyways, it's a bad look for him. Um, uh, and so they said that. They're like, don't talk. Don't talk to him. Because, you know, it's it's totally her fault, you know? Like, it's the extra's fault, you know, for uh, all of this happening, you it's know, like, or whatever. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, we won't talk to him because if we talk to him, he's going to... He's going to lie to us and manipulate he's us. He's going to sleep today. with yeah. me, you know? Because like, that's all that it was. It was her talking, and then he was like, oh, I'm going to manipulate this woman because oh, she yeah. talked to me. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ugh. that just... It made me so Ugh. angry, but, like, a week later, I was on another set for another show and the the lead guy of the show kind of like I wouldn't say hit on me but like complimented me in a way that made me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but my reaction was so over the top because I was like on high alert I was just like I'm not gonna say anything to him and I just like my eyes got wide and I just like walked away like uh 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 Uh, yeah (laughs) no 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 um but yeah very odd, very odd story. So oh, stuff Hollywood. like oh Hollywood. Hopefully things will be different. You know? <laughs> Sorry, mm. I know. Yes, hope hopefully. That should be our logo. Oh Hollywood. Hopefully things will be different. And then somebody <laughs> in the background just nodding. No, no, no. Won't. We we know how this works. I mean, the first episode I'm on this podcast, the girl twenty seven story, uh, oh. is just like the most disgusting thing you know it's basically a setup for these women to get raped at this party uh, it's so disgusting it makes me angry yeah i'm unhappy now you've made me unhappy don't okay. want it's a previous episode right? uh, check out our previous episode if you want to be disgusted by the men of hollywood continue pat if you want to continue to be disgusted by the men of hollywood that's going to be a lot of our uh, podcast yeah, unfortunately very true. Well, it doesn't really feel comfortable <laughs> coming back on the screen. But so, Kirk Douglas. Right, being a man sitting in Hollywood. Oh, right well, of a tale, I'll tell you now. Um, Sorry, s- that's Kirk Douglas. <laughs> I'm good now. Go ahead. Um, so, yeah, so police. Um, they were looking for uh, this Dr. Scott from The Note. Um, that, and he's that's, not the guy from Rocky Horror. Right, like everybody's thinking right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Rocky Horror hadn't come out yet. Maybe this is inspiration. Yep. Um, so they're looking for a Dr. Scott, so they check with the local doctors, medical care providers, 
they never find anybody, so they assume maybe if he was a real person, he was using an alias. Um, they also inquired about um, the, the set, the movie she was on, the, her, you know, that she was going to after she met with Dexter Bennett. Mm-hmm. Um, so police go and contact the studios that um, Dean was associated with. They find out none of the studios were open October 7th, 1949. Hmm. She never went to the studios. Or if hmm. she did, she, she's like, oh, shit, I'm on the day. I forgot I got the day off. Why? Curious. <laughs> why would curious that day, like, why would they be closed on that day? That's a random day. I don't know. It's yeah. 1949, you know? Who, who knows? Like, you know, like. I guess they just don't have any movies going. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's also, like, if you're in movies, it's an easy excuse, too, to be like, oh, I've got a night shoot later. I mean, especially if you have something that you're wanting to do and not, you know, you have your family know about, too, you know? To me, it sounds like abortion. Well, it could be. could be. Yeah. That is true. Um, So, it seems... I mean, that explains it all the time. It really does. Yeah. Especially back in the time. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Anyways. We're interjecting. I know. Um, so yeah, like I said, the studios weren't open, so it didn't, didn't make sense. Um, they come back to Dexter. Uh, Dexter Bennett might, must have had something to do with it. So they, they talk to him. He says he hasn't heard from Gene at all. Uh, but not only that, he insisted that they had never made plans to meet up with, like, together. So that story was also fabricated, at least police believe that. She also never had the intention to meet up with Dexter Bennett. Mm. Um, or maybe she did, and Dexter's lying. Um, so he did seem, police said that he did seem like surprised by the question, um, but um, they were still, you know, trying to keep an open mind about it. Um, they, they can't trust Dexter um, just because he's, I mean, they always go to the, the ex husband is the one that threatened you in court about about your daughter you know like yeah it's probably you know a safe bet for a cop to not think that he's you know but in any murder case or disappearance case like they should always look to the spouse they 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 usually do that's that's my point yeah that's your you always go with that guy so but now this guy also has like reason and motive you know Mm -hmm. um so, da, 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 sorry. Um, they also decided to visit um, his um, Dexter's current wife to see if his story checks out. Um, uh, her name was Lynn. Um, she assured them that they were hanging out that evening. They had no, she knew of no plans for them to meet up or discuss any of the child support payments that were missing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, the only, the only thing they were ever able to actually get out was uh, someone seeing her at a farmer's market. Uh, an employee saw her. So she did probably go to the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. But that was, pro- that was the last time anybody has any record of seeing her. Um, so like when they, when they did find all of, after doing this investigation, they did find, uh, her purse in Griffith Park in Ferndale, which if you don't know, Griffith Park is a huge Huge. fucking park. It's giant. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of area. So, um, 
uh, Detective Asdell um, thought that the only way to cover the entire park would be uh, by horseback with dogs. So he actually ordered uh, policemen to have horses and a search party was sent out immediately with 60 cops and 100 volunteers. And this is to search the 4,000 acre park. Uh, they found no body or anything, uh, just the one clue of the purse that still mm -hmm. existed. So they still kind of just thought about the note. Um, they decided it was time to call a Jean's divorce, uh, divorce, divorce lawyer um, and see if there was any romantic affairs or anything like that. Um, he did recall their affair with the guy named Scotty, who was the lieutenant that she was seeing, mm. uh, was the only Scott, you know, that they, so they figured, you know, this must be the same guy. Um, they never discovered or found out the Air Force lieutenant or where he would, you know, where he was. They never discovered this person. Um, so, um, they, his mom thought that, uh, it was Kirk Douglas. Um, a lot of people did, but mostly because she kept seeing her being picked up by a guy named Kirk all the time, you know, that she never met, you know. I think that's also, a, like, a, a parent thing, too, like, you know. Oh, it's the parents, definitely, yeah. The, par oh, yeah. the parents never trust the, the guest that doesn't come inside the house, right? you know, like, yeah. oh, you're just picking I mean, her up outside. Or should they? Like, what? that's no, a little... No, they shouldn't, yeah. That's that a little sketch, like, why doesn't he want to yeah. meet your parents? You know, it makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't want to see the people that birthed you when I kill you. you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so by after they started investigating tons of different places uh, all over the state, even out of the state, because they thought maybe she just skipped town. Um, they started asking around her favorite bars. The police heard out uh, heard about a former medical student known as Doc, with a reputation for terminating unwanted pregnancies. Every doctor named Scott in Los Angeles was questioned, but none of them had a gene on record. But mm. this was also, abortions were illegal at the time. So yeah, no, so nobody, no you're one's not keeping these records. Record. Yeah. yeah, it's like when, you know, hiding the organs, you know, it's like no one wants to exactly. keep any evidence of that. They just well, I never paid. keep any evidence. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um... So, um, they also, during the investigation, authorities learned that Jean was actually three months pregnant. Uh -oh. And she was planning on aborting the child. But, like I said, abortions were illegal. Um, so, they just assumed, you know, Dr. Scott was, you know, performing illegal abortions. And they thought it could have been just an abortion that went wrong. And because they didn't want the, you know... This, this woman died from an abortion that, you know, was supposed to go okay, but, you know, they just, you know, one of the, <laughs> this one detective that I was watching on the, the uh, Mysteries and Scandals was very detailed in what he, they probably did with the body, and I was like, oh, God. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he's like, they probably just churned her up or, you know, <laughs> put her I in the slices it. and dumped I her in the ocean. I like, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> oh, make, was it you? Did you do that? You know, like, it's like, well, if I murdered this person, I would have. I mean, you got to take our blouse off first. You know? <laughs> like, because oh, it just Jesus. gets stuck in a meat processing machine. Um, so, yeah, oh, my they, God. They also right. said that the same investigation that found out that she was pregnant was from a couple of friends that she had told, like, confided in them that I'm pregnant. You know? Oh, so it wasn't a but, physical? So, uh, what do you mean? 
Well, okay, never mind. Keep no, no, there. sorry. It was the the reason the cops found out that she was pregnant um, wasn't until there was there wasn't the the autopsy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was the, yeah. yeah. They learned about it from friends okay. that because they don't. There's no body. Yeah. She, she doesn't. Oh, yes. They, don't, she's, they she's, still don't know. Yeah, but it wasn't like gone, a, she hadn't yeah. gone to see a doctor. It was just she told friends. That she she was told friends that she was like pregnant and she was expecting a lot of money. She kept telling friends she was expecting a lot of money. So mm. cops thought she was pregnant by someone high up, you know, and was like, I mean, hey, that makes sense. I'm going to have this baby if you don't give me this money, you know, or vice versa. I'm going to kill this baby. You know, who knows what, what the situation yeah, it's, is. Yeah, you know? it's a tool. Yeah. yeah, to get money. Um, yeah. But the note definitely kind of sort of supports that. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, the police department ran out of leads pretty quickly. The search continued for years it's still going on today um the not long after um they they started um they kind of not closed the case but they started stopped looking in la um she was supposedly spotted in palm springs and with a well-known gangster named davy ogle who was one of a few henchmen that was working for mickey cohen who was a known mobster at the time Definitely, I mean, not definitely, but probably killed some people. He was facing indictment for conspiracy at that time. That was, you know, the nice thing to do, I guess, to a mobster. Um, this led to the police to suspect that they fled to avoid prosecution. Um, but uh, after two days, they went to Palm Springs, looked around, couldn't find anybody. They were untraceable, they said. Um, Mickey Cohen was also a close friend of Lynn, who was um, Dexter's current wife. Um, so a lot of people believe that maybe Dexter was involved, you know, and that this was a kind of like a gangster hit, sort of. Um, as the years went on, reports turned up that people were seeing her in California, Phoenix, Arizona, and even Mexico City. Like Elvis. Right, yeah, right, yeah, she's everywhere. Um, none of these sightings could be verified. No evidence turned up. Um, she's still listed, listed as a missing person, like I said. Um, the two sightings that were noted as kind of being um, probably valid were, uh, first was at uh, of Jean at a cheese box restaurant. <laughs> which I'd love to go to. <laughs> I know, that sounds good. Right? Cheese box. <laughs> um, they were, they apparently saw her, uh, somebody saw her arguing with two men on October 8th at 1.30 a.m. Um, another sighting has her that same morning with another two men in a blue-gray convertible at a gas station. As the car started, she asked the attendant to have someone follow the car. The attendant mm. called police, but they never found them. Hmm. So that might have actually been her. Been her. Yeah. But at the same time, like, people want to say that they saw her. And they, they're yeah, going to think. Be. And yeah. it, could, yeah. it could just be another girl who looks similar in trouble. Like. No, that's true. She was. On, uh, honestly, though, like, when my friend went missing, I was, like, looking for people who looked like her all the time, you know, and I thought I saw her, you know, well, yeah. but yeah. after like the story came out of what actually happened, it wasn't her. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, <laughs> that just went really sad. Um, <laughs> Bennett, 
uh, Dexter Bennett uh, and his new wife apparently tried to force uh, Jean's family out of the picture. Like, after she disappeared, Dexter and, and his new wife and Christine, who was his daughter, with with Jean, apparently he they, they wouldn't let her visit their grandma or her grandmother, uh, Jean's mother. Um, every visitation that Florence had, they were standing over her, apparently, and, like, telling her not to say certain things. Like, like they weren't allowing her to talk. Mm-hmm. Um... So they begin, a, a big custody battle begins over Christine because of this, you know, because, uh, you know, Jean still not, hasn't been found or anything. Um, so during this custody hearing, which lasts four years, uh, Bennett miss, uh, misses court, a court appearance 14 times. Ooh. And they issue a warrant for his arrest, um, a bench warrant. But he apparently skips town, takes the entire family with him, and police never find them. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, after that, uh, basically, um, she the whole the sightings end at that point. Uh, after October seventh, nineteen forty nine, she's never never truly seen or never verified seen ever again. Uh, if you have any information about the disappearance of Jean Spangler. Uh, you can call the L.A. Police Department at 213-485-5381. Um, yeah, also, I wanted to mention that this definitely seems like it was George Hodel. Oh! The, the, the Black Dahlia. Yeah. The Black Dahlia killer. Well, there was also, like... Um... If Look up a picture of her, of Jean Spangler. She looks eerily similar to her. Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth Short. 26 years old, a dancer, a socialite, bubbly, like, Mm-mm. all the, all of it, man. Well, uh... The crazy I was, upbringing. I was know? watching Bailey Sarian recently, and mm. she thinks that it could have been another murderer who was murdering around the time, uh, in, in the area. He was, and it's not George Hodel, even though... Bailey Sarian thinks that, like, well, yeah. George Hodel's a creep no matter what. Like, he definitely raped his daughter and did some fucking unsavory yeah. things. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he's a full-blown murderer is, like, up to debate. Um, although they're actually, well, it's not really because they found uh, human remains on the Soden House property. Yep. You know, so but that some... could have also been from the abortions. Abortions. Um, that's true. Uh... Yeah, Gene Spangler, this sounds like some George Hodel stuff, or at least similar, whoever killed the Black Dahlia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, all, all, all of it just seems, and, and then like Ferndale, that entrance is right down the street from George Hodel's place. From the Soden property? Right down the street. Yeah. Like, like a walk. Yeah. It's well so also a slight walk from uh where Elizabeth Short was living on Cherokee. Right. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So I mean I guess, you know, Hollywood was small at that that or smaller. That's also. true. Yeah, more That's walking true. But, it, but it's yeah. still there was still a lot of people, you know, and that yeah, there's just 
the whole the whole abortion thing like i'm going to visit dr scott like of course he didn't use dr scott totally sounds like a name george hodel would use you know yeah yeah it's yeah like as i was reading the more i was like yeah i was like i want to i want to think that you know she just dipped with a, a you know a gangster or something but that also seems like a a misinformation conspiracy yeah. Something somebody puts out there to so you kind of get so so it throws off the scent and also just makes it ridiculous that you would even question yeah. the story. The spottings know? of her, the two that you think are legitimate, sound like yeah, they're the same person. The two spottings that uh, with her with the, the men, that sounds like that's probably the same person. Whether or not that's Keen Spangler, that's not for sure. Um, also, you know. before sorry to interrupt. Before I forget, um, the the information that I got from um, is um, a lot of the information I got from Gene Spangler missing was from a website called Deany Peters Missing Angels Uh, it's kind of a mouthful, but if you guys <laughs> get a chance to check it out. Very, very depressing, but Aww. it's really interesting because the entire site is all missing women. It's yeah. just a huge that's archive depressing. of missing women. Yeah. So that's where I got most most of my accurate information from. Yeah. Say it one more time. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Deanie Peters-MissingAngels.blogspot.com. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think it's just this person just dedicating their life and time, you know, to... Mm-hmm. You know the America's Most Wanted type of you know um, idea. So yeah, that's why I wanted to mention like if you've seen this, but you know in her in the end of hers she says if you if you have seen Gene Spangler or know of any information about the Black Dahlia call two one three four eight five you know yeah. But it it really does seem like like all of those all of those flags just I mean, she looks so much like her too and it's yeah. like in. in and obviously he had like a type and you know like yeah she was a very beautiful person you know like not just like a bubbly happy and stuff you know and yeah, yeah. I mean it could have been George Hodel it could have been multiple killers like how we how it's I hate to say that it's basically proven but in my opinion it's basically proven that the Zodiac was two different people oh uh, yeah. it was one man and then a copycat yeah. Uh, because of slight inconsistencies, but With the mo and yeah. Uh, but it's I don't know. Yeah. But good job. Yeah. Yeah, it was really depressing. Thanks for. Oh, oh. Speaking of depressing, uh, also people that died that year. Victor <laughs> Victor Fleming uh, died. He was the director and producer of. Uh, Boz, Gone with the Wind. Oh, he's at Hollywood um, Forever, I want to say. And also the same year, speaking of Wizard of Oz, Frank Morgan passed away. Who was the Wizard of the Oz? The Wizard. Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours and is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, and share, and give us a five-star review, please, because we're totally worth it. Uh, because sharing is scary. But now that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to
forget to check out our Patreon at https colon slash slash www.patreon.com slash hh the podcast for more exclusive content, stickers, shirts. For more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at hollywoodshaunted.com. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. Please email us at gmail.com. Please email us your uh, paranormal encounters, your celebrity encounters, your hometown haunting, or just uh, say hi, because, you know, we like stuff. Um